0: as we continue in our series on what it means to be a covenant community. This morning we will be looking at two texts from the New Testament. First, 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, and then John chapter 13. We will focus on verses 12 through 16, but I'd like to read from verse 1 in that chapter for our context. But let's begin with Peter's first letter, which is near the end of your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Remembering always that the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And now turning to John chapter 13, and beginning at verse 1. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Lord, we ask that you would teach us from your word, that you would make us eager to serve you, eager to serve each other, because you, O Lord, have served us. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have met us and you have provided for us. Lord, we long to be with you and to glorify you. And so we ask this morning that you would bless us by the power of your word and spirit. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We have now arrived at the sixth installment of our series on Covenant Community. We've been looking each week at a characteristic of the Covenant Community drawn from God's Word to help us to understand what kind of a people the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be, how He is forming us into His image. We've looked at that means that we must be a humble people. We must be a loving people. We must be a forgiving people. We must be a hospitable people. And we must be a praying people. And now, this morning, we look at what it means to be a serving community, to be a serving people. Now, this is perhaps one of the clearest ways that we can show the community that Jesus is building. But it is also one of the hardest ways. To show it. Because we live in a society that does not value service. It seeks to draw us away. It tells us that we can only be important if we are being served. But God's word teaches otherwise. It gives us not only the command, but the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are called to serve our Lord and also to serve each other. To build each other up. Because we are a part of the body of Christ. This morning I would like us to see three things about serving. Three things that Jesus teaches us about serving. The first is that Jesus equips us to serve. Jesus is the one who makes us able and equips us to serve. The second is that Jesus shows us how to serve. He doesn't just speak to us. He acts it out before us so that we can see how we are called to serve. And then thirdly, Jesus not only equips us and demonstrates for us service, He calls us to serve. By the power of His Word, He calls us to be a people of service. So let's begin then this morning and look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and see how Jesus equips us to serve First and foremost, by his gifts. We're looking specifically at verses 7 through 11, but this occurs in a context. Peter is a pastor, a shepherd of a flock. And he is giving us these commands and this information in a context. We see at the beginning of chapter 4 that he reminds us that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We see this in verse 1. Jesus has condescended and He is serving His people by coming in the flesh and suffering that we might be blessed by it. So the context of service first is that Jesus has come in the flesh and served. And secondly, we remember that Jesus has come in the flesh for a purpose, to change us. We see this in verse 2. We are not to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, but we are to be changed to follow the will of God. Jesus has come to earth. He has taken on flesh. He has done the work of the Savior that we might be changed. And then Peter comes to brass tacks. He says, Jesus has come and you are to be changed. And now in verse 7 is the time to act. Don't let the thought or the knowledge of Jesus and what he has come to do sit on a shelf somewhere. Jesus has come to change you, be changed. Jesus has come to lead you, follow him. The end of all things are at hand. Peter is clearly telling us that we are to live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus has come to redeem us and that he is returning to claim us for himself we can never forget that the salvation that Jesus brings has a corporate as well as an individual aspect to it. Jesus did not come merely to save individual sinners. He came to bring those sinners into His body so that corporately they might be the body of Christ and they might worship and adore Him. This is what Jesus has come to do. And so... Peter reminds us that at the center of all of this is love in the community. He says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love is at the center and core of what the community of Jesus Christ is. It is what spurs us on to action. This is what guides and directs and gives purpose to our service. Love is over and above all, Peter says. Above all else, love one another. He also says something else that's interesting. Something that I dare say, if I were writing a pastoral letter to Christ church, that I would have missed. I could easily see a pastor writing and saying, love one another. But you see, Peter goes beyond that, doesn't he? He says... Keep loving one another. He tells us that we are to be continual in our love for one another. That we are to be persistent in our love for one another. That we are never to give up. That no matter who is around us in the body of Christ, we are to seek to build them up in love. And this is the context for service. It is love that is above all. It is love that is continual. And it is love that is heartfelt. Because we are called not merely to love one another, but to do so earnestly. With eagerness. We are to be ready to outdo one another in love. We are to be ready to leap forward in service. To show our love one for another. And this is not surprising. Because you see, Peter says that love... ...covers a multitude of sins. Have you ever wondered what keeps the church together? You know, sometimes I think of the church... ...as this sort of giant centrifuge... ...that spins around and around and around. And it's very difficult to keep everyone together... ...and on the right place. We all have different upbringings. We have different interests. We have different loves. We have different skills... But you see, what keeps us all together is love. It covers over the things that would cause division and divide, the sin that we have against one another. It causes us to want to love one another and to want to serve each other. This is what Peter says. Now, That's the context here, and now he begins to give us very practical ways of how we are to love one another. This is what serving is all about, because you see, God wants us to love one another. And because of that, the Lord shows us his love to us in very practical ways. When you got up this morning, were you worried that there would not be enough air to breathe? Did you have concern that the sun might not come up and light up the sky? Did you think you might float and bang your head on the ceiling? Of course not. That's ridiculous. But these are things that the Lord provides to us each and every day. He provides to us air and food and breath and shelter and life. He shows us He loves us in the way that He treats us you would experience this in your family, don't you? Spouses love one another, but that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate giving and getting flowers. Or emptying the dishwasher for someone. Or assisting with difficulties and problems. You see, these are practical ways that we show one another that we love each other. We serve and help one another. This is love in action. Love with hands And feet. And so, because this is the kind of God that we serve and know, and this is what God desires for us with each other, God does the only thing that He can. He equips us to show this kind of love. Where we are not able, He provides, He gives to us gifts. Look here at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace. You see, what Peter is telling us is we need to think about the gifts and skills that we have in exactly the opposite way that the world around us looks at them. When someone in the world has a skill or a gift, Very often it's something they put on display for others to show how good they are, to show what they can do. But you see, Peter says it's actually the exact opposite. Do you have a skill? It's not for you. It's so you can serve others. It's not so that you can be lifted up. It's so that others can be lifted up. Each and every gift that you have comes from God and it comes with the purpose of God. This is a change in the Christian's mindset. It is a part of renewing the mind. We begin then to focus on others and how we can build others up. Not how others can see and applaud us. This is the reason that the Lord gives to us these gifts. Paul says this in a bit more detail in Romans chapter 12 he tells us that the gifts are given for the body of Christ. He says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, God has given you a gift. And in direct proportion to the gift that is given to you, you are to use that gift to serve others. This is exactly what Peter says. As each one has received a gift, so let them use it to serve one another. If you stop and dwell for a moment on all of the things that the Lord has blessed you with, each and everything is given to you for the benefit of others and the glory of God. You see, we get these gifts that we might serve the Lord first and foremost for His glory. And we serve Him by building up His body, the church. The gifts that we have are not ours. They are on loan from God. Now, I think that's helpful for the way we think about spiritual gifts. Because we all know about the way in which we treat things that are borrowed versus owned. Don't we? When you borrow something from someone you use a little bit of extra measure of care with it, don't you? You borrow dishes for a dinner, you don't want to return them chipped. You borrow tools, you don't want to return them broken. You want to make sure that they're used properly, that they're cared for. You might, on a given occasion, in a pinch, use your own screwdriver as a makeshift hammer. But you probably don't want to do that with your neighbor's. For fear of doing something to it. You see, this mindset of stewardship is what Peter is getting at. The gifts that are given to us are that, so that we can serve the body of Christ. And in serving the body of Christ, we serve God's purpose. This is why God gives a variety of gifts. Not everyone has the same gift because God wants a balanced body. He wants a built-up people of him for Himself. For himself. These gifts are suited for God's purpose because God knows what we need. And he provides for these needs through the gifts that he gives to us to serve others. And so the great, wonderful thing is that Jesus Christ gets all the glory. Not just in some things, but in all things. Because he is the giver. He is the builder of the church and so as we use the gifts that Jesus has given to us by his spirit we see that all glory goes to Jesus. The second thing that Jesus brings to us is not just his word but also his actions. Jesus shows us how to serve. We see this in the gospel of John in verse excuse me in chapter 13 Jesus shows us how to serve in a very practical way. Now, let's again remember the context of what we have here in John 13. These are Jesus' last days on earth. He is actually at the Last Supper. He has spent plenty of time teaching his disciples, and now what he wants to do is to impress the truth of what he has taught upon their hearts. And so, what does Jesus do? He takes on a very menial, low, humble task. He begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this is, I think, a bit lost on us in our culture because we don't do this. We don't have something like this. But if you could imagine for yourself the last time that you wore sandals and you were not on grass or on concrete, or even at the beach with sand, but you were in kind of a dirty, dusty, perhaps even muddy road or path. And how your feet, quite frankly, got all dirty. And then, if you were to go into someone's formal dining room, what do you do? Well, you need to get cleaned up. Well, you see, in Jesus' day, that was a task for servants. Now, not high-level servants... Jeeves would not wash your feet. The cook or the waiter or the waitress would not wash your feet. These servants were the lowest of the servants. They were the ones who had the least rank. This was the most distasteful job. This was the most menial and humble job that you could take on. And Jesus takes it on directly to show the disciples what it means to serve and that no service is beneath us. Jesus is giving us instructions for how we are to live after he is gone. And this is something that's needed. It's something that was expected to be done. This was not an over-the-top gesture. This was something that was very practical and had to be done at each dinner party. It really was a matter of who would take on this ordinary task. And Jesus takes it on himself. Now I want you to see that Jesus doesn't just simply do this. He wants us to understand why he's doing this. And so we see here in verse 12, he says, Do you understand what I have done to you? Now, he's not asking this question like you might in a second grade Sunday school. All of the children would, their hands would shoot up and they would say, You washed our feet! Yes. But what Jesus is really asking is, Do you understand why I did this to you? What's the purpose of this? What's the broader principle that I'm trying to get across? There is significance beyond the mere act of foot washing. There are some Christians who seek to take this story, this passage in John, and turn it into a rite or a ritual that is to be performed over and over again. As if somehow what Jesus was focused on was the actual act of foot washing itself. But I think it's clear when Jesus asks this question that what he is trying to do is to get at the purpose of this action. That this purpose needs to be seen not just in one act we might do occasionally, but it needs to be something that shapes our lives. We must be ready to live out this biblical principle in all that we do. You see this in verse 15. He tells them, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. What Jesus wants us to have is an example that brings knowledge that leads to action. Our knowing leads to doing. And that's why he uses this word example. This word means more than simply an instance. It has the idea of a pattern that you would follow. A model to be seen and imitated. We see it most often in the New Testament describing the pattern or model of heavenly things found in the temple and the tabernacle and in the things of the church. This is a model for us to follow. And this is strikingly different than what the models or patterns or examples would have been in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, the Roman patterns and models would be a lot more like our modern patterns and models. They would be great deeds of courage, great feats of strength, great examples of things that an individual had done and could be praised for to be emulated. But Jesus again turns this on its head. What Jesus is telling us is that we have an example of service and of humility for others. We have an example of how we are to act with each other. So there's a sharp question then that comes to you. What have you learned from Jesus? How has learning from Jesus affected the way you act and live? What have you done? What practically are you undertaking to serve others in the way that Jesus serves others? You see, this is not simply a good story. This is a trumpet call to action. To being willing to serve others in the most practical and humble of ways. But Jesus also shows us that as we serve each other, We need to do so without regard to self. In our modern day and age, we like to do service when we can get praised for it. We like to set out a fine dinner. As long as everyone tells us how good the food is and how beautiful the centerpiece is and how wonderful everything looks. We like to serve in ways that will draw attention to ourselves. But you see, what Jesus says is when we serve, the last thing that matters is self. Think about what it is that Jesus is doing. It's a distasteful task that none of us would readily volunteer for. But think about more than that. Who is Jesus doing this for? He's doing this for the disciples. You know that group of men that followed him around for years, constantly not understanding what he was saying, constantly messing up his teaching, constantly trying his patience? You know, I often think that a proof for the deity of Jesus Christ is merely the fact that he put up with the disciples for as many years as he did. Because if I think, if I'd had them following me, my patience would have been exhausted well beforehand. But Jesus deals with them so tenderly and patiently. These are people who are clearly beneath Him. And He serves them. But look closer. Who does Jesus do this for? He doesn't just wash Peter's feet, does He? He doesn't just wash John's feet, does He? Do you know whose feet He washes? Judas' feet. Judas is there. The one who will wickedly betray Jesus just a short time from now. You see, what Jesus is saying is, in serving others, it is not about me, and it's not even about the worth of the one who is served. This is a calling to follow the will of God and to build up the people of God. And in doing so, it doesn't affect who Jesus is. You see, when we serve others, we don't lose ourselves. Jesus took off his outer garments, and he went down to wash their feet. But that's not where it ends, is it? After he had washed their feet, he put his outer garments back on, and he resumed his place. In his service, Jesus did not become less. You see, that is a wicked lie of the devil that comes to us all the time that if we serve others, we are somehow less. We are less important. We need to find a way to get out of service, to get others to serve. We see this in modern America all the time. One of the great things that we strive to do is to avoid all forms of service and somehow to earn enough money to employ others to do service that we would do. But you see, what Jesus says is, the act of serving itself is what's critically important. It doesn't affect who we are. It doesn't show our value. And what an opportunity this is for the church. Because outside the people of God, each and every day, people believe that their value comes from what they do. And Jesus is telling us that our value doesn't come from what we do. Our value comes from what God thinks of us. What an opportunity for the church to shine brightly in the world. Being willing to serve others. Being willing to help others in a world where this has been all but lost. This is what a community of the Lord God himself is like. And Jesus will not let us escape the reality of this. It is clearly applicable to us. Look at what he says in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He gives us an argument from the greater to the lesser. And this is not just an example we can follow or not. It is a command. We ought to do this, Jesus says. This is how we are to care for one another. What Jesus is Ripping away from us is the excuse that somehow we are above serving. When you think you are above serving, what you are saying is that you are above the Lord Jesus himself. That you don't need to do what Jesus was willing to do. That you don't think it's important when Jesus thinks it's important. That's why Jesus makes such a significant statement about this. You see, we're called to serve others because we are called to delight ourselves in acts of love one for another. This is what it means to be a community when we care more about other people than we do our own reputation. Do you see what's happening in this passage? Jesus loves Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, and all the rest more than he cares about what someone standing by might say about him or think about him. He is God himself. Do we love others more than our reputation? Are we willing to come alongside and to show that we care for each other more than we even care about the task at hand? You see, for many of us, we're willing to serve as long as it's on our terms. It's something that we enjoy doing. It's something that we would enjoy doing even if we didn't like the people we were doing it for. For many of us, we experience this in our jobs. We like what we do. It's why we're employed where we are. We enjoy doing these sorts of things, and we do them all the time for people that we don't like and don't know because we enjoy doing it. But you see, that's not real Christian service. Real Christian service is not only doing things we like for others, but doing things we don't like for others because we love others. People are more important than tasks. The third thing that we see is that Jesus does not leave us an option. He calls us to serve. And He calls us to serve for two main reasons. The first thing that we see is He calls us to serve to bless His people. To be a blessing for the people of God. Because you see, service promotes the welfare of others. It helps them in times of need. It helps them to get through the day. It carries them through difficult times. But what it also does is it empowers others to serve. Because you see, as we serve others, they are encouraged and they begin to serve still others. It's the pass it on syndrome. You serve, others receive, they serve, they receive, others serve. This is how the body of Christ is built up. Service also shows love to others. It shows others that they are valued. This can be in very small ways. You see, when you volunteer to serve in the nursery, you are showing children and their parents that they are valued. That you are willing to sacrifice your time and your energy and to do a humble task, to watch some children Because they're valuable. When you assist in teaching. Or when you assist even in helping with meals. You are telling others that they are valued. That you value the time of fellowship that they can have in a meal. And you are willing to work to move pieces of meat from one tray to another tray. To set up cheese orderly. The task itself is not something to write home about. But it's the reason that we do these things, because we care for one another and we love one another. And if we are to be a community that is bounded together by relationships and love and focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must do these menial tasks together. We must roll up our sleeves. We must volunteer our time. We must serve one another because each of us is valuable in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has given to us service that we might be the conduit of blessing that He brings to His people. You see, Jesus wants to bless His people, and still more, He wants to use His people to bring that blessing. That's why this kind of service can cover up sin. Because it helps us to get past who's deserving and who's not. And it reminds us that we have been served in spite of all of our problems. I am so glad that Jesus did not wait for me to get my act together before He served me by dying for my sins. Or I would still be on a straightaway path to hell. Jesus broke into my life when I was unworthy, when I was a sinner, and He served me. And so as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we must have that same attitude. We must not wait for others to be worthy of a blessing, to bring them a blessing. We must delight in being the hands and feet of the Savior. Jesus also calls us to serve one another, not just to bless His people, but I think even more importantly, to follow Him. You see... If we call Jesus Lord, it must mean something. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is actually a living, breathing picture of Jesus' comment in Luke 6, where he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Do you see Jesus saying this? If I, then your Lord, do this, then you should do this. You ought to do this. I've called you to this. We don't get exempt from this calling. Look at verse 16. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. We are not greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. He has called us to follow him, and following him means hearing his word and Doing it. It is not enough to simply hear what Jesus says. It must impact our lives and it must change who we are. Jesus says in Matthew 7 Then everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's not just those who hear, it's those who do. James puts it a little bit differently. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets and at once forgets what he was like. It's worthless. Have you ever been out to eat somewhere? and someone has looked at you and tried to describe where there's a piece of food or something on your face that you need to get it off, and you struggle, no, the other side, no, higher, no, lower. Right? Because you're, you're kind of being mapped into where the crumb is. Now imagine if you had food all over your face, and you walked in and looked in a mirror and said, looks okay to me, and walked away. You're not seeing There's no reality to what you're seeing. That's what James is saying. And so if we hear the words of Jesus telling us that we are to serve others, if we see the actions of Jesus serving others and us, and we do not act upon them, then we are not really hearing or seeing. This is how we show the world that the church and life in the church is different. This is how we show the world that what we believe and what we say is true. You see, the problem is it is far easier for us to dream up grand gestures and eloquent statements. That is how we will convince the world. We'll draft a commitment or a statement and we'll put it on the internet and have thousands sign it. We'll make some grand statement in a public forum. No. You see, Jesus has designed the body of Christ to make a difference in the world one day, one moment, one person at a time. Jesus' plan is different. It's not fireworks at the Super Bowl. It's humbly serving each other. It's humbling ourselves to show that we love one another. This is Jesus' plan, to send His Spirit to equip the saints so that they might show love one for another. Do you want to turn the world upside down? The way to turn the world upside down is to serve each other, to love one another one day, one person, One act at a time. To show that Jesus has made such a difference in your life that you are willing to put others before yourself. This is the body of Christ that Jesus is building. He's building it in His own image. Let's pray. O Lord our God, We thank You, Lord, for the way in which You have laid Your Word upon our hearts. That we might know Your will. That we might know Your heart. That we might know what You love. That our wills might be Yours. That we might love what You love. That we might serve how You serve. Lord, we ask this morning, that you would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might see in his supreme example of service a calling for ourselves, even as we walk toward that celestial city, that we would love one another and serve one another, all to your glory. For this we ask in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, Amen.